From our New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, you made it back safe and sound. I'm glad to see it. Or here. I did. I oh. did. It was it was quite a trek, you know, crossing these this great uh, country of ours, fording rivers, climbing mountains, or maybe just getting on an airplane for six hours, whatever, you know. Yeah, man, works. you know, travel, travel, you know. <laughs> dude, I can't <sighs> complain, man. You do a lot more of it than I do. So, uh, so I know. Here travel is the worst. Speaking of, uh, Kat, who's joining us uh, in a second and sitting in the studio now, uh, is really scared of me because as of yesterday afternoon, I felt a cold coming on and she has Uh-oh. to travel the next weekend. But I had no choice but to be in the office today because of so many meetings. Uh, what? But I'm, and the I'm podcast? I mean, come oh, on. Yeah. You got to gotta play through the pain, man. Oh, no, it's the worst. I don't – I did not want to be in today. <laughs> Well, we'll we'll try and make this uh, painless on you. I have I actually have a question for you before we get into our topic with Kat. Okay. So I was thinking about this yesterday. I was uh, or the last couple of days really. I've been sort of working on so my day job, such as it is, in addition to to doing all my fun vine pair stuff, is uh, the wine educator for a restaurant company here in Seattle. And part uh-huh. of what I've been doing is sort of okay. going through and revamping our um, wine service protocol, and it involved a lot of like. Okay, how exactly, you know, it's a pretty fine detailed uh, document that I created uh, because, you know, I figured I would I would be explicit about exactly how to do things instead of assuming that people know because a lot of this is for our new hires and things like that yeah. who, who may not necessarily know exactly um, what we expect from them. And as I was going through this and, and sort of writing out, okay, this is what you do. This is step one, step two, step three, et cetera, in wine service. I, I got to thinking, like, do people actually give a shit? Like guests. And, and so I wanted to ask you, like, we've talked a lot about, you know, at various times in this podcast about how we feel when we are being served by people and they're pretentious or snobby or whether or or the converse, you know, really, really engaging and warm and wonderful. But do you ever pay attention to, like, how actually good or bad someone is at serving wine or, or opening wine bottles? Or I guess obviously maybe a little more um, directly, obviously we pay a little more attention when someone's making us a cocktail or something, especially if it's right in front of us. But, but do you care how someone opens a bottle of wine when you order it? God, that's such a good question. Uh, no. I want to say no. Okay. Like, I... I mean, I think if you are a service professional yourself, you care. That's a good one. Because I, I you know, you're right. I mean, I've seen people do so many different things when they open a bottle of wine. I've seen people cut the capsule correctly. I've seen them pull the capsule off and then open it. I've seen people put it down on the table and then open it, which I know is a no-no. I've seen people put a pouring spout in the you know, in the neck of the bottle and then pour it. I've seen people hold it with a towel, not hold it with a towel, wipe the neck, not wipe the neck, pour to just the bend in the glass, pour all the way up to the glass. I mean, I think the only thing I notice is if you pour the wine incorrectly. Like if you pour mm-hmm. me a taste of the wine that's basically a glass pour, I notice that. I'm like, oh. And then if when you go to serve me the wine, if you serve the wine in, in a case in which you pour the bottle very quickly – Meaning mm-hmm. like you pour more than you probably should. So, you know, usually they say, right, you're supposed to pour to the top of the bend of the glass, right, Zach? Yeah. I mean, obviously it depends there. a little bit coming back to but our for, – For the most part, right? If you pour like to the rim or something or you pour to, to make it feel very full, especially if I bought the bottle and then I'm like, great, we're going to drink through this much faster than I intended. We're going to have to buy another bottle. I definitely noticed that and that mm-hmm. pisses me off. But cool. besides that, I mean, I guess I don't really care unless I'm – you know, Michelin three star service or some shit. And yeah. even then I don't really I mean, I care then too, but it's a different reason for why I care. 
Sure. Well, you kind of think in those situations, you want to feel like in, in all ways you're getting what you paid for or what exactly. you were paying for. Exactly. And it's funny because, you know, I feel like, you know, certainly it's true that as someone who opens bottles of wine for a living um, and has for a long time, I'm a little more aware of it than um, maybe the average person or even, the you know, people who enjoy wine and go out and drink it a lot. But for me, it was really interesting to kind of have this thought and sort of say, like, you know, how much of what we do as professionals or or sort of the steps of wine service do we do because like that's just how it's always been done and like one of my big things is i i really strongly believe that like presenting the cork to someone is silly like to me as soon as you open the bottle like much, yeah the foil the the screw cap the cork that's all garbage i don't want garbage on my table when i'm dining <laughs> and and i don't think my guests want it or at least i'm gonna make that I mean, look, if you know, you're building I'm, a cork trivet you know like that's sure. like Obviously, if someone wants the cork, they can have it. It's not a problem. It's just a matter of that sort of weird intermediate step of like, allow me to present this piece of garbage for your assessment. It just doesn't make sense to me. And, and and it's something that I've sort of encouraged our servers to to cut out. And obviously, if someone asks for the cork, then they have it and they can give it to them. But but it's not, a, I think, a thing that should be considered mandatory. And, and you know, obviously, there's really wide uh, range in how things are served. And there's sort of the you know, kind of the court of master sommelier's official version of wine service, which has a lot of very formal, very to me, very strenuous steps. And then there's the opposite, which is the sort of like, yeah, like, you know, dive bar, bistro-y, like, let me get this bottle open as soon as I can so I can go back to doing the 15 other things I have to do. And I don't, you know, that's not where I generally consume my wine, so I don't get bothered by that too much. But, you know, I'd like there to be a little bit of, you know, I'd like to feel like the person opening the bottle of wine has opened a few bottles of wine in their in their life, and so they're not completely well, I like to, I like to, I like to, like, feel like they give a shit, but I like to feel yeah. like they give a shit in anything they're going to serve me, right? Like, For sure. I also don't want you to just plop the, the, you know, the fish down in front of me and be like, boom, you know, you're done. Yeah. Uh, like, I want to feel like you give a shit regardless, but besides that, I mean, I get it. I don't, I, I'm actually curious what, what listeners think, you know, like yeah, for sure. email us at podcast at vinepair.com. Tell me like, do you notice, are you all of a sudden like, Oh, sacre bleu, I will not drink wine here. They don't know what they're doing. Like if I, if I know that the wine is still good, uh, I'm so excited to drink it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I feel the same way about lots of things. The only, the only time I get really scared is like what you're saying. Like if I see someone behind the bar, I'm like, this person clearly does not know how to make a cocktail. Yeah. That makes me a lot more nervous than anything else. Sure. Or like this person doesn't know how to pour a beer. Those two things really make me more nervous. Like in terms of pouring the wine, if the wine's the right temperature and you can actually open the bottle, I'm not as concerned. If you don't know how to pour a beer and this thing's coming out all foam and whatever, like this happened to me this past weekend at a party we threw where like this dude just did not know how to pour a beer. That really makes me nervous. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> but uh, but it's not as much. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, but anyway, I, I appreciate so, the feedback. You know. Well, let's jump into today's topic, talking about beer. So, uh, you know, it's summer. We're drinking lots of uh, lots of beer, obviously. So, I brought Kat, uh, our senior staff writer and beer expert, into the studio with me. Sort of chat about this thing that we've all been noticing over the past few years, which is a bunch of macro loggers, especially returning to their throwback can designs. So, Kat, welcome. Thank you. Throwback a throwback, they say. Throwback? What was that? Throwback a throwback. Oh, my gosh. They do not say that. (laughs) I think Tukate said that. No! I mean, I kind of got to respect. I got to respect. Yeah, it works. It works. So, Kat. I'm gonna. Everyone that I – so, first of all, like, obviously, it's a marketing gimmick, but I think it's cool. From what I understand, the the brand that did this first was Miller Lite. Like what, five, six years ago? And it was yeah. super successful. It was in kind of a joke. 2013, I believe. Right. They were like, we're going to basically go back to the 80s design, or was it even the 70s? Uh, 
That's a good question. I know that it started because of Anchorman, okay. the movie. So wh- when did that take place? God, Zach, when did that, that, that <laughs> when, take when did the movie come out or when did it yeah. take place? Like when was it supposed to be taking place? They, they, I don't know, the 70s, they were, I'm like, guessing, they right? They specifically made this throwback can for, for the, the movie. movie. And then I guess it, people liked it so much that instead of having it for a limited time, like as a promotion for um, Anchorman, they ended up bringing it back forever. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. You know? a really weird idea. I, you know, I, I, I know, I know what you're referring to. I, I think you know, this is such a fascinating topic to me because, like, we talk about nostalgia a lot in 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 all kinds of ways, and we talk about it with with beverage for sure. But this is like faux nostalgia to me. Like, this is like there's a lot of people who have this like yeah. nostalgia for a thing they never actually experienced. Like, I never drank a Miller Light out of that can like until they went back to it. Um, I have since, I guess. But like. Right. It is this really interesting. I don't. It's like a psychology thing that I that I that I I don't totally understand. Which is, you know, you you see it in a lot of ways. Like this, you know, um, I, weirdly I've been seeing it. You see it sometimes with like video games. I think where like people are like repackaging their, um, or, you know, yeah. like they're sort of yes, re-releasing totally. these old consoles, and they're like, I mean, I grew up playing Nintendo, but like I don't need to buy a Nintendo now thirty years later. Well, I mean, I don't, but I get I, people do, I guess. I mean, look, I will say that it, it caused me when Miller Lite did it to buy Miller Lite again. So it was smart. Yeah, it works. Even on those of us who know what they're doing, <laughs> it still gets us. Right. I also want to point out um, the reason we were talking about this this week is because a very talented writer named Kate Mooney interviewed me about this um, for a publication called The Goods. Okay. Or it's a segment of Vox because she had had this idea kind of spinning and then she saw that I posted on Instagram a picture of the retro Tecate. When you were can. influencing, while you were influencing. <laughs> I was influencing. Okay. Don't you feel influenced? I do, right now. So, yeah, we, we were like at this great location on the water. I'm like, this is so cool, this retro can. I posted and she's like, oh, my God, I was totally just going to write a story about this. Like, what is it about these labels that makes, you know, even craft beer champions like myself go for the lowbrow beer and well, what is it? I mean, what, what do you think it is? Well, I think it's part nostalgia, like okay. Zach said. Even, you know, nostalgia for things that we never knew. I think as American drinkers in particular, we feel this, like, sensitivity towards history. Like, uh-huh. when something has history or has a legend or, you know, we can, like, bring something back to the days of yore that were simpler and cooler and, you know, old school cool. It just works. I wonder too, is there something about this idea that like these, you know, original or at least much older designs were obviously, you know, still the product of, you know, a design firm or a team, but they don't feel quite as, I don't know, they don't feel quite as workshopped or as focused group the way that you look at almost anything that's done design wise now, especially for a major brand, whether it's a beer brand or anything else. And I wonder if there's sort of this like, for me, you know, I've just, I've just been pulling up some of these images as we've been talking and looking at some of these sort of retro or throwback cans. And I'm like, you know, there is a sensibility to them that does sort of feel like they're just a little more straightforward. And I'm going to use another, you know, reference point that for me is a little more, uh, hits closer to home sometimes than beer. And like, I definitely am a sucker sometimes for like throwback jerseys in sports. Like there's something about that idea, even if they, from before I was ever watching that sport or that team. And there's something about that idea of like, you know, it's from another era, but also I think just there is an, I guess a perception of innocence is maybe not quite the right term, but they just don't feel so 
you know, it doesn't feel tied to a multinational world bestriding behemoth of a company, even though it very much is. It's simplicity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. in like <laughs> psychologically and physically, it's simpler. Um, I think the design is a huge part of it. You know, they're they're like very symmetrical. It's usually this like cool typography overlaid on like a crest or something that really catches your eye. And it's not just the retro labels. It's also a lot of other like modern brands and super small craft brands that are doing this kind what do you of mean? design. So, like, so basically you have the macros that are actually going back to their old labels. And now you have the craft that never had those old labels, but they're designing labels that look like they're old. Yeah. Who's doing that? Uh, let's see. There's been like a, a trend of rebrands. Like last year, a bunch of breweries rebranded their logos, like Cascade Brewing, which is a uh-huh. super niche, like funky, sour, barrel aged kind of place in Portland, Oregon. Um, Oregon, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> is it Oregon or Oregon? I say Oregon. It's, 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 if you ask anyone who's from the state, it's Oregon. Oregon. Okay, fine. Um, so they used to have these like kitschy, like this illustrated label that was kind of like big sort of goofy, colorful text and like a drawing of a barrel. And it was cool in like the way that it was uncool. And then they rebranded to this very like simple, this like hipster branding. Do you know what I mean? It's like white, simple lettering. There's like probably a cross on it or an arrow and like everything is uniform. And people like me who had been drinking the beer before, so we actually had context, uh, we're sort of disappointed that like this cool, really like just in like, it was unique. It was like Cascades labels were what they were and it was like endearing. Um, and then they just kind of switched it up to look like everything else. And then they won an award for it. <laughs> they won That's a design crazy. award. Um, Cigar City rebranded last year. If you notice like uh, High Ally and Florida Cracker, all those it used to be kind of a more illustrated can. Yeah, also. they were. Now it's like that segmented, like a color block, and then I think it's like a a line between you know like blue and gold, and or it looks like, like a logo. And yeah, the text is like straight and simple instead of like a crazy font or something. But I I feel like it's it's so weird because I've always thought that like the whole trend in beer was. The crazier the can, the more likely someone was to buy it, right? The more it looked like a street artist had done the can, the label with no graphic design training whatsoever, yeah. the more likely people were to be like, wow, this is legit. So it's so interesting that when you finally look at these macro cans that are going back to the like very clean design of you know the 1970s, mostly the 80s, we're responding to that more even than we are the, the crazy you know other half design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's both because at the same time, all the like hip, hazy IPA breweries are making all the crazy, cool street art, cartoony cans. There's tons of those. And like it's getting to the point where the labels are just these like beautiful, brightly colored like graphics and shapes. And like it's I think the issue there is that you start to lose brand recognition. So you might be attracted to the cool can because it's like crazy and shiny but then maybe the next time you just go for another crazy looking can and another one and you're not necessarily, you know, like right, so you actually don't, recognizing there's no, the brand. there's no brand recognition at all. Basically the branding fails for a certain consumer. I mean, for people like me who are obsessive and know everything about what we're about to buy, you know, it's, it's different. 
of course, a lot of people buying things like other half are very intentionally doing so. Right. But I think for someone who's new or who's, who doesn't know that much about the different beer brands or if they're in a different market, you know, they're traveling. Um, it does have that like visual stimuli, but this total opposite trend of going simple uh, and symmetrical is, is like a better branding exercise. I think. Interesting. I have a, I want to come back to this question of the macro loggers or macro brews in general. And it's also, it, it comes back to maybe this uh, sort of point of distinction from the craft breweries. Do you think there's some way in which the, the, the return to this sort of um, look has to do with this idea of like the macro brews have realized like we, we're, we have our audience. It's obviously actually still a very, very large audience. Um, but those are people who either are disinterested in craft in the first place or are disinclined to spend more money on beer or just have a certain brand loyalty and that that a design that is sort of you know as sort of straightforward and simple as a lot of these are it kind of fits with that modern perception of um who the audience for these beers is whether they're drinking it because again it's their it is their preference or it fits their budget or they're semi-ironically drinking it or who knows what people drink beer for a lot of different reasons um and choose brands for a lot of different reasons but but is is this idea that like it's almost trying to be even more distinct from your your standard craft label whether it's the sort of hipstery linear vibe or the crazy easy ipa vibe or whatever that these that these brands are uh, you know the macro brews are kind of intentionally moving away from anything that could be mistaken for um craft right yeah that's interesting i mean it's simple label for a simple beer i guess um you know you won't see like rainbow and glitter 16 ounce cans in a dive bar probably i mean right. definitely not as much um yeah i think it, it could it could definitely be part of it and then there's brands like pbr or Paps Blue Ribbon. That's like oh it's pbr it's always i know to us some people say Pabst. really um I bet Zach says Pabst. It hasn't gone. It hasn't <laughs> gone the way of. I assumed it. No, I just assumed it had gone the way of like KFC, and now it's actually just PBR. There's not even a Pabst Blue Ribbon <laughs> attached to it. Well, actually, just... weirdly enough, we were talking about this in the office earlier. Um, our VP of Sales, Liz, said that she's been seeing PBR cans where the text is missing from the blue ribbon. Really? Which we couldn't find any, you know, promotional campaign about this, but she said she's seen it. In real life, multiple times. So it's how many, just how many PBRs just, have Liz had like at that text, point? Though, like, there's the like point. a ghost of the text. Interesting. Maybe it's just like it was a fucked up run, and they're like, I don't know. Because yeah, she should have been saving those. Those are like collectors' editions, right? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, um, but I was going to say PBR always was this nostalgic brand. They didn't high life too, right? Yeah, totally. High life. I mean, that's such a bartender and... And brewers who tell me they love. Yeah, Yeah, it's so true. I mean, who doesn't love a high life? Is it really because it's that much better than Miller Lite or Coors Light? No, it's because it comes in a cool, clear bottle and has that like throwback label and because it has a cool story of champagne of beers and all that. Yeah, the the bottle or can doesn't turn colors as it gets cold. Sorry. (laughs) Right. So basically what you're saying is like... We all would still be drinking macro if they would have just like stayed true to being nostalgic and didn't start making yeah cold activated cans. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that. I still prefer to drink a variety of flavors and support small businesses. But I think that they definitely did some things right that, you know, still work and will forever work. And some smaller or regional breweries are starting to emulate. 
Interesting. So do you, th- I mean, how many brands now are doing this? I mean, we know Takate is doing it. We know Miller uh, Lite is doing it. Mm-hmm. Bud, Bud Light's not doing it, which is interesting. They're not. Like uh, who, did who Coors, else? Coors had the Coors Banquet. Coors did Banquet, yeah. Um, I mean, who else is big? Heineken didn't do it. They might. They might. I don't even know. I don't know what an old school Heineken bottle looks like. I guess I'll have to do I feel some like more it research. Looks the same. Yeah, that's my. Yeah, there was anything too. else. <laughs> um, yeah, the it's really the majors, the Bud Miller Coors, or not Bud, but Miller Coors, and then right. you know these other craft uh, brands, like even Sam Adams, uh, last year or maybe a couple years like ago, went back to their old bottle. Not, not the old bottle, but like they had once again. Each label or seasonal release had a different illustration. Like the summer beer had a like a drawing of a beach chair or something, but it was more um, more graphic, more illustrated. And then they went back to that simple like a ribbon of color. So very stark, just like very plain. It text still letters. has the illustrations, but it's it's just like more streamlined. So you, it's more recognizable and more uniform. Interesting. So basically, the moral of the story is. If you go, if you do a throwback can, more people will probably buy it. Yes, but I, I do think you have to genuinely be throwback, throwing back. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like if well, you're Takate, you throw back, or if you're Coors, you can throw back, or if you're Schlitz, you can throw up. Well, the Schlitz effort. Schlitz came back. Right. And so like Peels. Hams. Peels came back to New York. So as long as we is Genesee Cream Ale, right? Mm-hmm. We're looking for these nostalgia products. Heritage brands, if you will, right. that we can feel connected to and that connect us to our ancestors. Or I think so. Our granddads. Yeah, I think that there's a romanticism to it for American drinkers, especially because we don't have that long of a history. So the history right. that we do have, and especially in beer, which is and the rest of alcohol, it's so rocky, like because of prohibition. Right, right. Our drinking culture got so messed up for a while, and it's it's like hearkening back to this time where things were good and, and things were simpler and, you know, who doesn't want to live that for a moment? Do you think we'll ever go back to like the cans you see Don Draper drink out of in Mad Men where they either they peel? Yes. There's a brewery, Urban South. Um, where are they? They do a Zwickle lager that's really good and their can comes like that. So you can peel it off and drink it. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't hate it. I don't hate it either. <laughs> oh, well – before I sneeze all over the studio, I really apologize. <laughs> this is awful. Cat, uh, I'm going to let you go. Zach, this was a, a interesting podcast, shorter one than normal. Well, uh, in deference to your awesome to, yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> try and try and rest up and uh, and you know feel better. Thanks, man. I will talk to you next week, and everyone, thank you for listening. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you'd rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is recorded in New York City at Vinepair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patry, and the show is produced by Zach Joal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Gridberg. Special thanks as well to the entire Vinepair staff including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.